back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And we've got a very special guest today. <coughs> there he is. Oh, hello. It's, uh, it's me, Mitch. I'm back on the show. He's returned from a long pilgrimage from a shipwreck from being lost in the waves as far as we know anyway we i believe you were in a nautical sort of flatbread mishap did that have anything to do with the suez canal no it actually had nothing to do with that you got your facts all mixed up i've actually just been in the sensory deprivation chamber that is my basement uh taking in you know the chorus of human suffering that is henry portrait of a serial killer part one and two um that so, is challenging. Yeah. How did, how did we get the story so wrong then? Well, who were know. we hearing from? Or rather, who, potentially, who is slandering your reputation? That's what I want to know. Yeah, because you were painted not only as a guy who doesn't really know how to handle his flatbread, you also can't handle the beast that is the ocean, seemingly. You were having a very difficult time, as far as we understood. We were worried for your safety and health. Well, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for, for your concern, but that... that is um that whole ocean story is a pack of lies i'm uh i'm i'm alive and well there was no nautical mishap completely uh baseless hmm. liam do you think maybe there's a have we upset a filmmaker recently uh you know we very well might have upset the dude that did flatliners 2017 if anything shane uh, black perhaps maybe i feel like shane black's too famous to care no, no, you mean Flatbreaders. It's a, another, it's a sequel. <laughs> of course, fucking Flatbreaders. It's a classic. Based on the 1990 hit film Flatbreaders with Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's what I'm wondering. Do you get access to a sensory deprivation chamber by way of your basement? And you decided to spend the time that we thought you were lost at sea watching... Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer 1 and 2, why is that? Well, I <clears throat> I had a premonition that it was going to be on the show, so I, uh, you know, I just I just watched it. Um, Are you the one who's programming the film, Genero, to keep giving thematically relevant results? No comment. Well, Mitch, we got news for you. Today's episode is, is Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer Part 2. Well, that's delightful news. You've you've picked the right guest, I think. Um, Thank God I'm... you had the foresight to watch the sequel. Holy moly! Yeah, thank God. And uh, what a sequel it is! Truly, what a sequel it is. Now, anybody who listened last week knows um, one thing and one thing only. I don't know what Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is, or at least I didn't. I still kind of don't. I do. I have like a vague sense of what it is, but from what I understand, you two are sort of uh, experts in the subject matter. Uh, so I actually am going to take my hostly duties and uh, flip it over to you two, and it would be great to get some sort of rundown and sense of what Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, Part 1 from 1986 is for anybody like me who might not know. Sure. Um... I'll I'll go for it. I'll go for it since you know uh, it, it's fresh. It's fresh. Um, it's loosely based on. So the first film is from. Uh, it's, well, it came out in the in the late eighties, 
And then nobody really wanted to touch it because it was so controversial. Uh, it's loosely, so it sort of sat in production limbo for a, a long time. And then it sort of regained interest once the prints became more available. Um, but it's a, a loose adaptation, not necessarily a documentary of the real life serial killer, Henry, Henry Lee Lucas, who uh, killed a bunch of people in the, I guess he started in like the late sixties and yeah, killed throughout the seventies. And uh, he claimed to kill like hundreds of people, but they only actually pinned 11 murders on him. And I think 11. And uh, he pretty much just like conf- confessed to every crime that came across his desk for like, you know, deals, like even like small things like, 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 like a case of beer or something like he would, he would confess. And um, so it's loosely based off of his life. And I guess a spree of killings that kind of happened in Chicago. I think he was apprehended in Texas, though. Um, yeah, so it's it's based off of that. The original film, super controversial, and a really heavy watch. But that's that's sort of a rundown, and it's sort of an episodic film where he uh, drifts around and uh, I guess just kills people randomly. Um, is that a, is that a good is that a good description, Liam? I think so. Yeah, I I was surprised in watching it because um, I watched the original before watching the sequel for this episode here. Um, I've I've heard about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer at least for the last ten years, if not more. You know, always is one of those disturbing movies, um, and I tend to like those sorts of things. Um, I especially like reading about them, if if not if not watching them. And so I've meant to see that one for the last 10 years and never got to it. And, and now I finally did. And um, certainly the subject matter is really unsettling. You get a lot of murder in the movie. Um, but it, I found that it, it, it had a, a pretty strong foundation in terms of its story. You know, there's a bit of relationship drama going on there. It's sort of a, a movie centering around these three characters. You have Henry, um, who is the titular serial killer of which the movie is a portrait. And then you have his friend named Otis. And then you have Otis's sister, Becky, who has come to visit Otis and is meeting Henry for the first time. And the movie is about um, Henry, who who has already killed people before he is a serial killer. Um, and him and Otis start hanging around each other more and, uh, they start to do bad things together um and then you also have becky who is sort of infatuated with henry um and so i thought that uh all weaved throughout the 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 killings in this movie there was also a a solid 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 story with a lot of really great acting and um i I would recommend that movie to anyone who likes um gritty like 80s city movies you know this one it takes place in chicago but it very much feels like something that takes place in gritty new york i'd say i'd I'd say it's similar to taxi driver um i i think the movie is uh it's 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 a really really good and uh um solid movie that that you would want to watch if you can handle uh some some gore and and a lot of implied gore too a lot of it is 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 implied sort of texas chainsaw massacre style but it is very it is very uh frank in the way it's yeah. depicted and in, in the lead up to all these killings it, it feels very real fly on the wall and uh 
and I could see how it made such a big stir in the 80s. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and a lot of the crimes are of are definitely of like a more sexual nature too. So if you do if you do seek out this movie, that I'd, I'd say that's like kind of a necessary warning because it is really really quite shocking. Um, I've read that a lot of critics compared this to the to the original anyway, to like the works of Cassavetes and Fritz Lang. I, I was gonna prompt you on the Cassavetes thing, yeah. I figured, I figured. I don't think that's necessarily a good a good comparison because everybody's just like, oh, you know, they it, they filmed it on a low budget, so it's uh, it's Cassavetes. But I think it's does not have the same thematic preoccupations as Cassavetes. Maybe it's a bit rough around the edges, like his films, but nothing like it. Anyway, I was but. Nevertheless, I think it stands strong as a, as a good film, and it's no secret that, or it's no surprise rather, that it gained such circulation. I think with the critics once it finally came out, because it is, um, it is like a very shocking movie, but it has a lot to say, and it's just an unflinching portrait into, I guess, that kind of life, um, and it really is um, a horrifying movie but a good one. So yeah, that's Henry Henry part one for you. And uh, also just for anybody uh, sort of keeping score, um, directed by John McNaughton, but perhaps more notably uh, the breakout role for Michael Rooker. Um, if anybody is curious about sort of what went into that film, that's one of the only things I kind of knew about it passingly before looking it up. And um, it was also one of the movies that prompted the creation of uh, the NC-17 rating in the end. Uh, it was given an X rating at the time. And um, they the MPAA apparently said there is nothing that you could possibly cut out or re-edit to get this movie in R rating. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's um, that's crazy. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was similar where the director was shooting for a PG. And so that's why a that's lot of the violence in, in there is is uh, is off camera. And then, you know, he brought it to the to the ratings board. They were like, uh, yeah, this is like R at at the least. Yeah. PG <laughs> yeah. standing for pretty gross. dude. And, and, and that sort of that sort of thing that you talked about where, you know, the the raid the arrival of NC seventeen sort of came on the heels of this movie is, is is partially why this movie kind of languished around on on like a shelf for for four years because nobody wanted to dis- distribute it or the people who could distribute it were like it was like theaters that also played like <laughs> some real like schlock or like or like pornos so a lot of theaters just like couldn't show it and the film couldn't really get out and. Um, because of that, nobody nobody really saw it when it came out. It it, it appeared at, at a couple of it appeared at the Chicago Film Festival, or at a film festival. Yeah, in and it played in Boston too. Mm-hmm. And actually, so a fun fact that sort of ties these all together. So one of the first companies that was lined up to release the film theatrically, they wanted the movie to have an R rating. It's a company called Atlantic Entertainment Group, and uh, the person who was hired to do negotiations with atlantic entertainment group is a guy named chuck perello um chuck perello worked at john mcnaughton's uh development company and it was chuck perello who ultimately would go on to write and direct the sequel Mm, that promising that is interesting i didn't know that yeah so what had happened there is he had been running that development company for over three years 
and then was hired to write the sequel and they were so struck by the writing and the script that he was also tapped to direct it that's that's so cool i i think we talked about this recently on the show um about uh how cool it is when someone that's working in movies working on a particular franchise even then takes the reins you know we got uh insidious chapter three directed by lee winnell who wrote saw um and uh worked with james wan as a partner and then he got to direct the movie of his own and then you get shane black who acted in the predator and then decades later he's directing and writing the predator movie i uh i just finished watching the entire nightmare on elm street series and number six freddy's dead is directed by a woman named rachel talale and uh she was actually uh she worked on all the previous Nightmare on Elm Street movies in various roles, you know, just like helping out and stuff and, and doing different roles. And then, and then by the time the six came around, then she, she had the reins to, to write and direct the movie. So that, that sort of thing is, is really interesting. It always has me more interested in seeing a movie when you know something like that going in. Yeah. I think it's cool too, because he was like, not tangentially related, but like he was on the other side of the ball. In, in the sense that like it wasn't a creative role that he was working in and then to flip it in that way is kind of interesting i think it's also interesting too because the the original film it was it was john mcnaughton's directorial debut as well and uh like in terms of in terms of the production like i know i know the guy who produced the original like almost didn't ask like any questions like he he didn't even read the script before he gave them like the, the $25,000 advance on the budget like he hadn't even read the script and he was, he just threw 25,000. He's like, Oh, I'm sure it'll be good. So, well, he just wanted like a, I guess like a schlock horror film with lots of blood. Yeah. Like a slasher, right? Typical slasher. Yeah. Like a, like a slasher, like a video nasty from, (laughs) from the eighties, but (laughs) they ended up getting like this sort of, I guess like this profound meditation on like the life of a serial killer. (laughs) But yeah. You know, sometimes, Sometimes you slip when you're in the office and you accidentally shift the knob uh, from Jason to Henry and you accidentally make a profound meditation on the life of a serial killer instead of a slasher movie. It's happened to the best of us. We're working through it. I can't help but wonder if that's part of the reason uh, the movie was so stark uh, like starkly received so controversial because by the time when it was made you know mid 80s we're sort of in the middle of this slasher craze we've seen so many movies coming out prior friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street are going strong at this point um and just getting goofier and goofier and though there's a lot of violence we sort of the audiences have come to understand that this is uh it's it's an event that you go see once every right. year, and that but then this movie comes out and it is much more realistic, much more plain, and uh, that had to really shock people, especially um, knowing that murder in movies nowadays isn't something to be taken all that seriously. And then this movie comes out and takes it very seriously, and so um, that that sort of. Uh, um, tells me why Roger Eber liked this movie because I, I watched his 1990 review of the first Henry portrait of a serial killer when it was finally coming out in limited theatrical release. And he really liked the movie. He thought it had something to say. He thought that um, 
you know, movies are meant to show people and emotions that we wouldn't otherwise be confronted with. And, and this movie shows this side of life, this this darkness that some people uh go through and um he really loved it whereas all the friday the 13th movies you know he he hated them and so uh that's interesting it's cool yeah, he, he gave it three and a half stars out of four which is like it's it's not like that's a pretty significant review from roger i mean he gave that to to many other movies that i think are are much better but but it's a it's high praise from him and i think i was shocked too that gene siskel also liked it and he's a bit of a prude but he did yeah. like it yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so th- that shows the kind of controversy we're dealing with here, that it is it's definitely a disturbing movie. You know, I can't take that away. But also it, it's the sort of movie that is presented uh, very methodically. It seems like the filmmakers and all the actors know what they're doing with the material. They realize the significance and the weight of what is being put on screen. And so if you are able to to handle uh, some of those disturbing scenes in the movie i think there's there's a lot of merit to be found there i i think it's the um the fact that it came out in like the peak slasher era is kind of it's a really compelling point because i was recently listening to a different podcast and they were sort of working through um they were talking more in terms of the uh the home invasion genre but how uh there was a point in the 80s where like slasher really hit its peak where um it sort of the the genre became increasingly less concerned with like actual horror and more like what you're talking about where um it got like sillier and sillier uh austin walker was on that podcast and he described it as um it became like mascot based movies like in the way that like mario is like a mascot game oh yeah that's <laughs> that's really cool characters and i thought that was a great comparison so i think that at that point in time, it sounds like the first movie would have been a really profound departure from that, which I think it's interesting to see this sequel that we're going to be talking about come out 10 years later in 1996 and pick up where that first movie left off. And as far as you guys are describing it, present a very similar sort of aesthetic and thematic preoccupation, but into a very different climate of the kinds of movies people were making, where I don't know if um slasher because obviously in the early 2000s i think you start getting a lot more of those again it sort of comes back around but i think the sequel might have been released into a climate that was a lot more prepared for the kind of movie that it is and i wonder if that sort of sense of preparedness uh would sort of influence how somebody ends up interpreting or understanding the movie because it's not a really stark contrast to everything else that's coming out that's that's an interesting point. I would love to do some research as to how part two was received at the time to to see what people were saying to see if that holds up. You know, I can I can only say so much having seen them both back to back in 2021. And uh, unfortunately, from what I've seen, there's very little about the sequel online, um, despite knowing about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer for the last decade. I had never, ever heard of this sequel until just a couple weeks ago um, when I think I just stumbled upon it in a sentence somewhere and put it on the list. But I've never heard anyone talk about this movie, review this movie, podcast about this movie. Um, the Wikipedia page is very slight, and so it's, it's, it's tough to say. Yeah, definitely. 
I again, I've I've seen very little sort of written about this movie uh, critically as well, other than the fact that the I mean the reviews online are are kind of mostly negative. But uh, <laughs> most movies we end up doing on this show, maybe not most, um, but a lot of movies that we do that we end up liking have negative reviews on the internet. Uh, so I don't know if that's like a huge quality indicator at this point. I think like this is a sequel to um, a uh, a popular, striking, uh, unusual movie. So I think anything that they try to do, whether it's very similar to that or drastically different, like no matter what, people are going to review it poorly online. That's just inevitable. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I will say that the original is also perhaps like the worst date movie ever. Don't do it. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Did she like it? Um, I think she gave it like a, like a cool six and a half out of 10. Is like even the word to use? I don't think she liked it, but I think, I think we both found it like interesting. Well, it's no inspector gadget too. No, it certainly is not. (laughs) Um, so to talk a bit more about this movie, um, I don't have a lot because a lot of the people that worked on this have not done a ton of other work. They're all dead. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so, uh, and there's not a lot for us to pick through in terms of like extra um, movies to add to our list, unfortunately. So we've got mm. Chuck Perello, like I said, um, who did a movie about Ed Gein and a movie called The Hillside Strangler and something called Dr. 420, which is hilarious. So are those all after this movie, Corey? Yes. Interesting. All right. So he's got a serial that's basically thing, it sounds it. like. Yeah, and that's basically all he's done is that. Cool. He's got an announced project called Powder Burns, but um, I couldn't really find anything about it. Uh, yeah. The movie was edited by Tom Keefe, who is actually uh, more prominent as a producer now. If you know the TV shows Californication and Ray Donovan, he was a producer on those. Those were pretty popular. Um, the cinematographer is Michael Conhorst, whose only other cinematography credit is a movie called the Lawrence Melm. And then he has a lot of like camera department kind of credits, but not anything where he took the lead. And the music is by Robert McNaughton, who did the music for the first movie, uh, the first Henry uh, portrait of a serial killer, the Ed Gein movie that Chuck Perello did, and also will be doing the music on his new movie. So do we uh, know if there's any in the family? Do we know if there's any relation to Robert McNaughton and the director of, of part one? Um, off the top of my head, I don't. That would be fascinating to find out, and I'm going to try while we're talking. I about was it. I was just looking. I've, I've been I've been sort of like keeping. Well, there's quiet not shit looking. about this man on IMDb. There's nothing. Yeah, there's not a thing. So yeah, we'll never know. Some hey, Robert, if you're listening, call in. Maybe yeah. maybe and it's a pseudonym for John. Why does he want no one to know he plays music? That's the real question. Because <laughs> it, really, he lives in Footloose Town. They hate music. What's really fascinating, too, about these movies is that Henry Lee Lucas, the actual serial killer, was alive when they came out, but he was, in, he was incarcerated. But um, essentially, like, I've, I watched, like, a documentary about, about his life. And uh, like, there's clips of him talking, and he's saying stuff like "I'm bigger than Elvis," and because like he was alive when these movies came out, and like it it brought like a lot of publicity to him, like in the jail, and he was kind of like a like a celebrity. So definitely something 
to talk about, I guess, with like the ethics of of depicting serial killers, especially while they're you know still alive. <laughs> yeah, and and I had read that the initial idea for this sequel that the the filmmakers of the first movie had, um, you know, I guess this was talked about shortly after that first movie was made or came out was that they would do a sequel where Henry is now in jail and he has become that sort of celebrity that has a following and uh, and it would have gone from there but um, you know I don't, I don't know how far those talks got if anywhere and and we got this instead 10 years later so also like on a on another subject you you mentioned the hillside strangler and while we're talking about this like that that was also a real I guess, serial killer in California in like the 1970s. And they, they actually like kidnapped, do you know who Peter Laurie is? Yeah. He's in Casablanca. He's also in an M by Fritz Lang, which I think, which, which uh, Henry evokes, but they kidnapped Peter Laurie's daughter just by accident. And they let her go because they were such admirers of, of her father's films that's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know why I'm making this connection now, but I think I I don't know. It's definitely um, kind of a crazy instance of of art and and life kind of colliding. Yeah, and um, that's I think another thing that I just find weird or compelling, and we'll, this might be a good segue, is that so? Like I mentioned, this movie came out 10 years after the first movie um but picks up according to everything i've read about it ostensibly where the first movie left things i don't know how directly i i imagine not completely directly but um i i want to know why people felt like this is the movie that they wanted to make 10 years on um just because obviously things would be very different compared to 1986 to then um, and just as a quick rundown, because the plot actually, to me, sounds very similar to what Liam made the first movie sound like. Yes, yes. I was uh, thinking about it that. It sounds too. almost identical. <laughs> on on paper, you've got the same two movies. On paper, the same, the the same, same formula. Movie. The same formula, I think. Almost down to a T, except there's there's more fire, a higher body count. Um, yeah, this movie's hot. Yeah. Because of all the arson. Okay. <laughs> um so henry uh is sort of waiting helplessly and dourly throughout life and um ends up coming into the good graces of a uh, kai and cricket who work at like a porta potty company uh and they get him some help because they see that he's just like homelessly drifting and so they're like we have a room and we can get you a job and we'll get you back on your feet whatever we do get a bit of a sense of what Henry is going through up to that point uh, with some weird sort of like vignette slices of that experience in shelters and whatnot. Um, and then when he moves in with them, Henry meets uh, what Wikipedia is describing as their quote, emotionally fragile teenage niece, Louisa. Um, and so throughout the movie, uh, Louisa will gradually develop um, like a romantic infatuation with Henry that he is not interested in reciprocating, which sort of puts her on like a precarious emotional cliff that they will have to reckon with. Uh, Meanwhile, I think a, I think, a, I think a better adjective would definitely just be profoundly underwritten niece, but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, her their two dimensional niece Louisa. Um, <laughs> people would be people would be picturing that this movie is like a high concept flat CG Stanley. character with Flat Stanley, and Henry is like, no, you don't understand. I'm not into you because I like women with three dimensions. Um, I like fully fleshed out characters. Anyway, um, meanwhile, uh, Henry discovers that Kai. Uh, is it his side hustle is doing arson for hire to get insurance money um and uh that is all set up via a dude named Ruder who uh I think also works at like the porta potty company so Henry sort of gets coerced into joining in on the arson game and we get a lot of like we basically get a how to guide on how to arson if you ever felt like committing uh insurance fraud yourself they talk uh, about it like it's like it's like a, a fine science like it's like what's this and it's like this is an accelerant it makes this is like, like oh some so kind it'll of make glycerin. it burn faster a like, thousand it, times faster it's, it's like yeah, i'm gonna just... get this syringe and inject this accelerant into a light bulb so when yeah. the filament heats up it fucking explodes you you put uh you put gasoline on a fire and believe it or not speeds it up it's it's what we in the biz call an accelerant <laughs> i don't think it? it was gasoline i think it was like a fancy other thing that he uh, had. i think the, i think the first he one had, was just like something something he had lame. special from the factory <laughs> he did he did have special fire juice but I, i'm not sure uh i'm not sure what the uh the original one when they have that stupid exchange just looks like kerosene or something. <laughs> wait you see, is, yeah, you see this know. lighter this makes things hot <laughs> So, Whoa. so stay so stay with me here, Henry. I've got two sticks in my hands. <laughs> and now you just rub them together. Uh so here's here's the thing. So here's the thing. Thank you for the sound effects, Mitchell. Um Meanwhile, Henry is like, oh man, this arson thing's pretty cool. You know what I think would make it better? if we started murdering people and so uh it starts with two people who were squatting in a building they were trying to arson and then he just kills them heartlessly and kai gets this impression of like oh wow never never killed a guy before did we have to do that did you get this like stone wall emotionless man who's just like yep and it was pretty cool and so they kind of gradually ratchet up the murdering um until uh They've murdered everyone in the world. <laughs> until ev- well, until everyone in this movie's world is dead, yeah. Pretty uh, much, yeah. Every character that we end up really coming across of any importance dies uh, by way of Henry or themselves is pretty much the only two ways out of this, apparently. Um, and so by the end, you're just sort of left sullen um with a bunch of burned down exploded houses a lot of pointless violence and as mitch implied a lot of underwritten characters yeah human human wreckage and uh well there's and a lot of like exploitative crap i mean the original one i think was very much in the tradition of an exploitation film but they did the exploitation right and there's a sort of like a, a tragic and artistic way of going about it and this one i think it's um it's this one I think is more just about building that body count. But but the problem is the so 
in a slasher movie, for example, to go back to that, I can understand that being the preoccupation because part of it is like, oh, who's going to get it and how? But in the context of this movie, the thing that I still don't fully understand is um, there's, you know, at a certain point, horror movies sort of built around the killing is the fun part, for lack of a better phrase. And this movie is obviously not interested in that. It treats its violence with a sense of gravity um, in in its uh, sort of lack of pomp and circumstance. And um, that just doesn't make sense in my mind with the fact that it's got so much of it um, because it, it starts to feel like the worst case scenario, violent, deadly, terrible thing just keeps happening over and over and over again and people are just pushed to their limits and end up dying or being killed or burning alive or burning down a building or assaulting a random stranger and it's just like I don't I understand what the movie was probably trying to do but at the same time I feel like I don't because it's it feels like it lacks nuance in any of that Mm -hmm. I agree and I think it I think the original film had that it had that nuance. And I think there was a much greater purpose behind the violence and the kind of violence that you, that that you see. And they show different kinds of extremes where it's, they're killing people. um, I guess in some ways out of like a kind of uh, boredom almost where they're just, they're just like, let's go want to go out on the town and do that. And they, they sort of, I guess revisit that idea, but I don't think it has, I don't think it has necessarily the same kind of, um, gravity or or or, um hard-hitting quality that the first one had no and i find too that um kai's hesitancy doesn't really play well um or his reluctance i guess is maybe better um because it it feels secondary to what's actually happening in the scene which is just like henry is shooting somebody or something and he's at first he's just like oh man uh, and then he likes it for a while and then he doesn't. And it's just like, I don't know. This is sort of muddying whatever the point maybe is or isn't. It's sort of muddying the point about whatever the movie's trying to say. I guess my biggest frustration is that, um, so it's called portrait of a serial killer. Right. And, um, this doesn't really feel like, um, it's got a good window into any of these characters, actual inner lives at all. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you are actually left on the outside wondering what maybe the um, motivating forces are. And I also think because of the fact that um, a lot of the characters in the movie are either like the most depraved they could possibly be or perhaps the most tragic example of a person in those circumstances, it's hard to really get in there Um and be on the same page as the movie because uh it feels not hyperbolic that doesn't feel like the right word but um i don't know there's just something about it that i find hard i I find hard to meet this movie where it wants me to yeah and i don't don't think it, it does what it wants to do either and i think i think like that's that's there are a number of reasons for that and i think uh, first and foremost, I think it's 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 like the script and the and the characters. I also think that you know you're you don't have the same kind of 
performance. They recast Henry with somebody else, and the, I think the initial performance in that movie is in the in the original is one of the strongest one of the strongest parts. But I, I don't think that there's necessarily like the the complexity in this Henry's performance. Oh, um, that's uh, I should have done this already. That's Neil uh, Gintoli yes. playing Henry, who's also in Child's Play. It's maybe his most notable role. Um, Rich Komenich is playing Kai. Kate Walsh is playing Cricket, who is Kai's wife. Uh, Carrie Levinson is playing Louisa. Daniel Alar is playing Ruder. Um, and every uh, online archive of this movie credits Penelope Milford as the first victim of the movie. Uh, and they often have her top build, and I'm, I don't totally know why. But uh, she was also in Heather's. So there you go. Hey. Um Yeah, I don't know. So at one point I described this movie in my notes as a specific kind of Americana Malays rust belt depression. Uh and I feel like the movie does a good job visually communicating, I think in part because it's low budget, sort of like the rundown rural buzzkill that can be like towns like this. Where it's just everything is gray and washed out and run down and nobody looks happy. And it's sort of a very bleak picture of like day-to-day human life in that way. Um, and I feel like aesthetically it's doing a good job keeping consistent with what I think the movie's trying to do. Um, but I don't know if it really is able to connect beyond that into something more profound, which it sounds like the other movie can Mm-hmm. And the the original movie definitely has those kind of aesthetic and, and thematic preoccupations with with you know that that sort of Rust Belt Americana, like you said. But uh, it, I just think I think it's better on on every other level. I think that the ending has like real purpose. Like I was, I had been dreading watching this movie. I had, I I put it off for a really long time because the original one was like a heavy watch for me. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know, like long day at work. I don't know if I necessarily want to put on part two to that, but honestly, I found this movie was kind of a breeze because it it didn't have, it didn't have the same kind of gravity. And I don't think it, I don't think it was nearly as, um, as I guess as serious as, as the other one too. Like there was, there were so many other kind of like detours in this movie, um, that I think muddied the, the points and all the other characters, like the like the neighbors that they get in a dispute with, and like the kids pushing off the bicycle, like there's all these there's all these other things going on, and all these other moving parts that I think uh, detract from the, the the wholeness of the of the of the picture. Whereas the the original one uh, was very sort of uh, singular in its in its portrait and and depiction, and like you just wanted like a like a break a break from that from that image when you were watching the original, but from this one, I think it, it, it really meanders. And I think it's, it's much less focused and uh, it doesn't work to the strength of the movie at all. Yeah. Um, what about you, Liam? Well, I'm just sitting here as a listener, uh, taking in what you guys are saying. And I think you guys have absolutely nailed it. Um, you know, I, I, so I don't, I don't even want to reiterate everything you guys have got at, but I, I feel the same way. And I think the listeners will be able to pick out those points. You guys said just like totally on the money. I am, I am absolutely with you guys. I think that 
this movie um, is really confusing to me because it is so much weaker than that first film. Clearly, right from the very beginning, both movies start very similarly with a lingering shot on a clearly murdered body. And then we move to another shot of, of someone um, who has been killed. But th- so the blocking is like just as scary. You know, this movie opens with someone uh, pinned to a tree or a fence or something like that. Um, and I thought that was really, really unsettling, really creepy looking. I thought, wow, this is uh, is striking in me the same fear that the first movie did right, right from the get go. Um, but then really quickly, I think the movie, uh, shows that it, it doesn't have the same patience that that first movie has, doesn't have the same tact because, um, it doesn't linger on the shots, uh, nearly enough, um, to, to really make you feel that grief that you get from, from, from looking at an image like that and and instead you get these really quick uh corny dissolves from one shot to another the movie is just starts moving way quicker um and then you sort of get like a cold opening kill uh in the woods that feels like it's sort of out of a slasher movie um yeah it really does and and the recasting of Henry is, of course, so apparent. I mean, it always is when you when you recast someone. And uh, I was able to recognize very quickly that I don't have the same uh, fascination with this actor. I don't think he has the charisma that Michael Rooker has. I think Michael Rooker's performance in that first movie is, is one of the best performances I've ever seen, for sure. Um, and this dude just doesn't have it like he doesn't he doesn't have the look and like i don't think he resembles michael rooker enough um and and beyond that i just don't think he has the acting chops i don't i don't get the impression that there's anything going on beneath the surface in this guy like he doesn't feel like a a human the way he's delivering these lines so um i think we have under underwritten characters all across the board and then i think we have overacted performances all across the board with the exception of of henry who is so so flat and uh and uninteresting that uh, the way he's performed i just can't sink my teeth into it and so really quickly i'm noticing these things and i'm thinking okay this this movie it doesn't seem to it, it's not hitting the way the same the first movie did but but maybe it shouldn't be because this is this is a different movie this is what we try to do on the show right we we found i've talked about a lot of movies on this show that are very different than the original movie um or, or aren't looking to do the same thing that the original movie is doing or um you know any 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 sort of uh combination of of uh of characteristics that have made a movie that um, is different than the original, uh, I've ended up liking it. And so I thought, okay, I'm I'm gonna look at this uh, not as a uh, as uh, I'm looking to get the experience from the first movie again. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push that one out of my head. I'm just gonna take this movie as it is, you know. Um, and I really I. I I found that I couldn't really do that because this movie is trying so hard to do the same thing that the first movie did, which is why on paper, Corey, you can tell that these movies sound very similar. And so I just I'm so confused by this movie's existence because I don't understand why 
we are doing the same thing we did 10 years ago um, on paper and basically in execution you know though the the filmmaking feels a bit different i just think that's just because there's less talent behind the camera and (laughs) and i i really do you know when it comes to editing when it comes to cinematography um even the way the music is done i recognize here that the 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 composer for this movie is the same as the first movie but i felt like the the placement of the music stings in this movie. Maybe it's just because they're being put onto a movie that I think doesn't look as good as that first movie and isn't acted as well. And so those music stings stuck out, but I, I thought that the music was super cheesy in this movie. Um, and so it, it just, it feels like this movie is trying to do the first movie again, but it, it has the cards stacked against it in every single way. You don't have the same people involved. You, you, I don't think you got people or did the work in order to get to that level. But I, I, I can't put the first movie out of my head as much as I want to because this movie insists on carrying on that initial story. If they had, at the very least, set this movie 10 years in the future then I think I would be able to take it more um, as its own thing. But it doesn't do that. It picks up right where the first movie left off. Like you said, Corey, it's not entirely clear if we're like at the same day, if we're a few months later or what. But but the two Henry actors are basically the same age. You You don't you don't hear from any dialogue that uh, anything has really happened since we left him in that first movie. Um, and so I just became really really uh confused as to why this movie is being made because the original isn't a unique concept it's just unique in its execution um right so why is it that we're gonna do this we're gonna have a sequel to this not unique concept that that does the same thing but just uh in a in a less unique uniquely executed way in a filmmaking sense so i i i was really uh i I can't even say disappointed with this movie because um uh i think part of me was was thinking that it would likely be that because i've heard so little about it and um it's just that first movie is so uh it's like a flash in the pan it's a slice of life i was thinking any continuation of that of that story i don't really know where they could go and then when i quickly realized that they were just doing the same thing over again um then i just had to kind of sit with it and uh this time with 100 percent more arson (laughs) yeah Yeah. i I totally agree with you and i think that i think that (laughs) if they had gone the way that john mcnaughton was originally proposing to do where they talk about i guess the nature of celebrity that some serial killers experience through I guess sensational publicity and true crime stories. I think, I think that in itself would be just sort of like a really interesting, I guess, self-reflexive narrative. A because the guy who made the movie about him is making another movie about him off the heels of like the publicity that came from the original. So I think that that would have been a fascinating movie, and you don't necessarily have a lot of movies about that sort of dynamic of celebrity and 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 serial killers. I, I can't think of any where it, it, it talks about that. So I wish that they had gone to other territories, but really they just sort of they almost like beat for beat revisit everything, and everything is done much worse. For example, 
the home invasion scenes in in the sequel are not like the, the I thought I was going to be like ill during the during the home invasion scene in the original Henry one, but but this one, um, they they it's they play up like the the gore and the exploit and the exploitation in, in some ways. But in other ways, like the 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 mode of filming is is different because in the original, it's like a POV, like handheld shot from like their their video camera, and then it pulls oh, back it pulls back from that scene, and you see oh, both yeah. you see both characters watching what they have done, and Otis wants to rewatch it, and so there's they they really through that and through that like vehicle, they really express a lot about the characters and it's, and it's just a repulsive, horrible, horrifying scene. And, and the actress uh, in that scene is, is just going like all, all out and she's giving it her all. And, and I think that, in fact, I, I watched a documentary about it and I think she like damaged her neck doing that scene. And they had to rush her off to like the emergency room. She was um, putting in such a, I guess a performance, wow. but, 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 this this the home invasion scene in this one they you can tell they're trying to like check the boxes and and revisit i guess what could be the landmarks of the franchise but it's it just doesn't work and, and yeah i i don't know why as someone who didn't see the other movie i don't know why it doesn't feel like i kind of take umbrage with the ending too uh the burning of an arsonist cuz i feel like it's trying to be poetic and it's just like fucking soulless it has nothing <laughs> he to showed me the say. fire now he is the fire yeah. like i honestly feels like it's trying to make some kind of point whereas this whole movie just feels like grim and and bleak and and violent uh but i don't know to what end it's just it's a it's a movie that doesn't have any faith in humanity whatsoever without feeling like it's meaningfully justifying that belief by rooting it in something that feels organic and real Mm -hmm. in part because of what you're talking about uh with the way things are underwritten i think the louisa character is the prime example and the most damning um especially because they're trying to show that this is a character that's been traumatized throughout her life and is trying to sort of deal with that through art and ends up latching onto henry for this or that reason but it's just a it's like a flat caricature of a character that you think would have been through trauma at some point. And um, every scene where she just is suddenly like very attached to Henry, it feels that feels sudden. Um, And perhaps that's true to some kind of actual thing. But uh, by the end where she's like threatening suicide and then just does um, shoot herself, that's, shocking and i was shocked and it caught me off guard but to what end did it do that you know yeah like it, i was shocked but like you know okay now what but what beat, beat, beat for beat again it, like i know you haven't seen the original and i feel bad for keep returning but it, it, it sort of follows the same nature where they they almost briefly humanize henry like henry for example uh rescues becky at the end of the at the end of the first film and we're like because like, there's this weird dynamic throughout both of these films where I guess Henry is, whether you like it or not, he he, there are qualities in his character that I guess are eerily close to being a protagonist, even though he's I wouldn't say he's not a very, he's not a very good one, not a traditional one, um, not one that you're rooting for, but like 
in the original one, he 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 rescues her, and then um, he it, it shows in the end that he just you know destroys everyone that gets close to him, and they they echo that beat for beat in number two, um, in in a much more explicit manner in number two as well. In, yeah. in the end of the first one is a, a tad more ambiguous. It's subtle. You don't know exactly if he has done what you fear that he has done. Um, and you could kind of interpret it either way, um, but in this one, it—it, it, I mean, it, you see him burning everyone alive. So yeah, and it's—it it is under like it, I'd say the original ending is kind of um, that ambiguity. I think is much more uh, I think tasteful and in, enduring uh, to to his character. Right? You don't you don't see him do what you know that he has done and what you dread that he has done. And in, in this one, um, you know, you see, you see it beat for beat and I don't think it works. Um, I want to say one more negative thing and then I do have one positive thing. Go ahead. Um, near the end of the movie, there is a point where somebody is getting their head slammed repeatedly. Um, and there's a music sting every time the head hits and it gets slightly louder every time, and it sounds like the movie is building a power meter. Oh my gosh. Um, that's... <laughs> and it's extremely hard to not laugh, because it's like, doo, 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 doo. like it sounds yeah. like it's building up to something. Um, that's that's really funny. Just comical, man. Like, um, And then, that's like right before you well, get the part where Kai is like begging to not be burned alive, and it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. When Henry does shoot everybody at the end, he fires like seven or eight shots from his revolver, which is literally impossible. Like that's just a continuity error, but they're supposed to only hold six and he's firing away. Like it's the okay corral or something. I don't know. Remember the Alamo. Yeah. And well, um, and yeah, it resident gun expert over here. <laughs> uh, in, in regards to the music, Corey, that's that's totally what I'm getting at. Is that the placement of the music seems so um, seems so out of place? I guess like I I don't remember the music from the first movie, but I don't remember any instance where the music took me out of it. And knowing that it is the same composer, um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he did just as good work on this one. Um, I don't I don't know for sure. I'd have to compare the movies back to back. But the way that his music is used in the sequel just seems like it's it's doing it a total disservice. Like you get a music sting um when uh uh, a lighter is lit at the beginning of the movie a a a flame comes out of the lighter and the music goes and um there's just this (laughs) there's quite a few instances of that where it just it it feels so made for tv uh lifetime just totally totally we made the inverse of a lifetime movie and this is what happened (laughs) Do you, do you um, want to t- say the thing, the your positive thing? Yeah, I really like the arson sets. Um, when they're all rigged up with um, the like little baggies of accelerant, and they're spraying everything down, and there's like a bunch of stuff rigged up, and they tend to be really moodily lit, and you get a pretty good diversity of places that they're arsoning. Um, I thought I really liked the sets. I like the burning mannequin. I thought the burning mannequin was very striking. Yeah, and there's a few shots um, here and there that I like. Uh, there's one in particular that I have a note about, which is seeing the fire through a rainy windshield. I don't specifically even remember that, but I want to give credit 
to I felt like that was worth writing down. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. But overall, a few good shots and a couple good sets is not enough to uh, save this um, this thing. And it's just got it's got moments of depravity in it that I just don't even understand why they're there. Like when Ruder just like drugs Henry for no reason. Yeah for like shits and it's like okay so this movie is attempting to really portray this like what it conceives as the scum of the earth and is not interested in a uh humanizing anybody in that you know americana rust belt depression era not era um area that we're talking about or giving any like significant meaning to these actions they're just like oh wow people suck am i right like yeah and uh it's just like a it's a what you end up getting is just like a different kind of um a different kind of nihilism from from the og it sounded like we we all didn't like this movie but like to what degree did we not like this movie um i will say that i the the more i think about it the less i like it i would say that i could i could put it on i can i can watch it um and if i'm not thinking about it it would just totally be a background movie it it's not necessarily a background movie i would pick but it's not a movie that's going to rile me up and and get me upset at it but once you know like the way something like cats or uh even flatliners from from just last week would do you know flatliners i think is a lot more egregiously explicitly silly but um this movie just in its intent as i'm thinking about what it's trying to do uh really starts to to irk me because it it because it retreads the same ground the first movie um already walked over it it and it does so in a far less compelling manner then i just sort of get cynical about its existence you know this came out in the mid 90s and i can't help but think that um at that point uh henry had been out for a little over five years um since it was released uh in a theatrical setting and it's had a reputation for a few more years after that and so it's been out it's it's probably been on the home video market for a good while now so it it has a reputation and so i can't help but think that this movie came out in the mid 90s just to capitalize on that and be another henry movie that people are going to see on the video shelves and perhaps rent and instead of thinking of something interesting that could be done with that something different um the safer bet is to just do what what the first movie does on paper um we'll just do that again so that when people pick up this movie they're they're less likely to be uh uh bothered by it they're not going to be blown away like none of us were and like a lot of people have been if they've seen that first one but they're also not going to be offended because how can you be we just did the first one again um and so in a way that's almost more offensive to me it makes me think back to blair witch 2 book of shadows um which Corey and i absolutely railed on for disrespecting the first movie for being holier than thou pretentious um we threw a lot threw a lot of stuff out there a lot of stuff at joe berlinger uh, you guys can listen back another to that guy episode. who likes serial killers it, it's it's a jam, yeah it's a jam-packed episode um and Corey and i really came away 
upset at that movie um but now i'm uh, i'm a year and a half older and i'm thinking uh wow i i I think i'd still give joe berlinger more credit for what he tried to do in that movie because at least he took a big swing this movie it doesn't take a swing uh at all it's it's just the first one again but um in every every step of the way it's showing how how uh less than it is to the first movie that um it is so clearly taking inspiration from so um i I come away from this pretty pretty down on it uh i agree in the assessment that um the more i think about it the less i like it immediately after watching it i think i thought it was not good but not like frustratingly bad or anything but in discussing it further and understanding what i believe the movie's goals to be and this being the result is just a waste of everyone's time honestly yeah i would i would agree with that like i i don't think it's it's bad it's just like the the unfortunate like made for tv cousin that you want to forget and like i it's not like i mean like all these other new great films just came on the criterion collection and uh like i was just like when i was watching this i was like wow you know there's there's all these other like fabulous films i could be i could be watching we feel that every week yeah i know i have a <laughs> finite amount of time to view films a lot of that time goes towards stuff of this caliber yeah, yeah my heart goes <laughs> but again like it's it's not like it's not the worst thing i've ever seen it's just it's just not very good <laughs> Sometimes it's that simple, man. Mm-hmm. Could be and, better, and, and I think that's why I've heard so little about this movie. It's it's one of those films oh, where yeah. it's like it was destined to fall in a chasm and never come out. I I did some clicking around on Letterbox once I knew how I felt about this movie, um, and I saw uh, a, a few reviews that you know were pretty low, one star maybe, one and a half, two stars, um, but I didn't see it getting panned like i thought i might have um before i watched it you know there was so little about this movie out there that i thought okay the people who have seen this it's probably gonna get gonna get trashed because um otherwise i i feel like i would have heard at least some horror fans saying you gotta check out henry portrait of a serial killer too um but instead i found that there's there's a few people really down on it um I, well, I'd say about equally as down on it as we are, because I didn't see any half-star reviews, but I also didn't see really any, anyone raving about this movie. Even the four-star reviews I saw are people saying, nowhere near as good as the first one, but it's a pretty good movie, uh, four stars out of five. <laughs> it's, it's the sort of thing where it's just, I I can't really fathom this is the sort of movie that's anyone's favorite movie, um, yeah. which is wild because everyone's, uh, I feel like a- every movie out there has got to be someone's favorite, but I, I, I have yet to, <laughs> I have yet to learn that this is anyone's favorite movie. And I would, What's I would, the name of the actual guy, uh, Henry Lee Lucas, his, he likes it. He likes part two far better. <laughs> he's he's yeah. like Stephen King with the shining. He's like, <laughs> when they redid it, I liked that one a lot more. <laughs> But, uh, the dude looked more like me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... it's. I, and I, I looked around the internet, and I, I couldn't find... I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. Like, And you would think, because of the publicity and like the sort of how the, the critics all gathered around the first one, that some of them might 
be down to like revisit the franchise, but there is none of that. Like there's like I was expecting to get like a I want I want Roger to revisit this. What I wonder what Roger thought or if he did see it. But there's there's nothing there's nothing from like the the critics of the day that I was really able to find or any of like the really you know big ones. Yeah, I think I think that's about it. I think that's uh, closing the book on uh, the book of. I'm gonna say this again because I have a really good joke and I fucked up the delivery. I think that closes the book of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer Part Two. <laughs> nice. <There It's>, you <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank I'll you, f- Liam, for acknowledging what I was trying to say after fucking up the joke. <laughs> <laughs> a mediocre book, but a book at that. Well, now that you've um, acknowledged that you messed it up, you're gonna have to keep it in. But <laughs> oh, of course. That's those are the those are the unwritten rules of recording a podcast. Um. Yeah. How would you guys like to uh, palate cleanse with uh, the William Castle film Genero and see what we're doing next week? I would would love to, man. Sometimes at the end of a hard day, I just go to the William Castle film Genero and I just hit a button and I see what movie pops up. It doesn't mean anything, but it just... Makes me feel feel alive. Gives me a nice dopamine kick, so let's do it for real. But before you do spin it, Corey, may I ask, Mm. has Inspector Gadget 2 been added to the uh, Genero? If it hasn't, we can add it right now. Liam, I did mean to check. Is that on our list already? I just did a control F for you, Mitch, and it is not. So I am adding it. Could you add it? No, no, no. Hang on before you do it. Add it. So if you hit enter and change the numbers, will the numbers just update automatically? Yes, or would you will. have to read? Can you put it in the middle? <laughs> sure. Well, there's just a certain, to mix it up. There's a certain interested party that would that, that wants to see it. So, <laughs> so, that would like to see it. Come I've been reached out via Twitter. Yes. Uh, with a request. All um, right. It's it's in there. It's in there deep. Okay. Don't tell me where. We'll just find it one day. Yeah. Or eventually, maybe just decide to watch it. But in any case, Liam, how many movies are on? Uh, the list that we input into the William Castle film Genero as of now. Corey, uh, I would I would call them items since we have a few surprises in there, not just movies. But oh yeah, there are uh, other media. <laughs> that's right. But uh, we have two hundred and eighty nine pieces of fun on this Woo. list. Woo! Woo! It's pretty good. Okay. I so. don't I don't like Inspector Gadget 2's odds, but uh, spin the wheel, mode of me. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so everybody ready to go here? Right. All right, big money, no whammies. Big, big money, no whammies. That's if what I was, said. I'll, I'll say g- it a second time. If this was a game of roulette, I'm betting it all on Inspector Gadget too. <laughs> I tell you, Mitch, if you, if you e Mitch, if you e transfer me five bucks, I'll put it in a second time. <laughs> <laughs> what kind um, of joint are you running here? We gotta, we gotta start a Patreon where we do film general raffles. We, we let, or like we let people like uh, beef the odds. Yeah, yeah. Like, If you pay us five dollars, we will put your movie of choice on five times. And and we're so we're so attached to the film Genero that you can't pay us and have us do your movie next week. But like you if have- you pay us if you pay us five hundred bucks, then two hundred five hundred times. Then two hundred and eighty eight of the two hundred and eighty nine slots will be your movie. Become that movie. I love that. Okay, so three, two, one, spin. Okay, we're smack in the middle here. Oh, Inspector that's, Gadget Two is a for chance. Inspector. <laughs> One thirty-five. If it's actually Inspector Gadget Two, I will lose my fucking mind. <laughs> I wish, I wish, but real life doesn't work that way. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh-oh. 
That's ominous. It's just not Inspector Gadget is all okay. I mean by that one, guys. All right. 135. Oh, man, this one's a book again. <laughs> okay, so um, 135, right above 135, we have Critters 2. Hmm, okay. Right below 135, we have, and this this has come up earlier, Corey, and we didn't end up doing it. Um, I don't think it's in the episode, but... 136 is Ghoulies 3, Ghoulies Go to College. <laughs> oh, one time, no. one time. Was it, Cor- no, that was Ghoulies 4, I thought. That's that right. It, it okay. was Ghoulies 4, yeah, but I've got multiple <laughs> Ghoulies on the list. Um, Ghoulies has a better chance than Inspector Gadget's team. Ghoulies the franchise. So 135, you guys, and Mitch here, welcome back, of course, is Mary Poppins Returns. Oh. <laughs> And how about this? How about this? I'll do a quick thing where what I'm going to do, guys, is I am going to undo my Inspector Gadget update because the numbers got all bungled. And let's see what that does. Would it just make it Critters 2? Do you know what I mean? Sounds like we're gaming the system a little bit. Just spin the wheel again. How about about that? Mitch, does this system have no sanctity? Yeah, I suppose you're right. Um. So even with Inspector Gadget gone, it doesn't, it. It it doesn't it. make a difference. Yeah, that's gadget, right. well, uh... gadget foiled by plans. <laughs> that was really good. Holy shit. <laughs> Gadgets. Is that Dr. Claw? Fuck. Uh, is it? Uh, I think so, yeah. That's, yeah, that's his name. That's yeah, no, I'm asking if you are Dr. Claw. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> is That's why uh, it wasn't a flatbread, of course. You're just Dr. Claw. Yeah, I got, got my doctorate in uh, villainy, actually. Oh, from what from what school? Uh, well, I guess we all have to subject ourselves to Lin-Manuel Miranda now. Oh, Oh, yes. Is he, is he doing this movie? Is he, did he direct it? Uh, No, he's in it. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) He's a chimney sweeping man. I've seen this movie is why. (laughs) Oh, well, hey, that doesn't happen often. And you're not excited, which, uh, which seems to... (laughs) Not I'll fair t- well. I'll tell, I'll tell everybody right now. I don't think it's, like, bad. In fact, I remember liking it when I saw it in theaters more than I would have expected to. Uh, I have this terrible gut feeling that that opinion's going to change. And mm. I don't know why. I don't have anything to base that on. Just hearing that title made me go, hmm. Interesting. Because to me, this sounds like a Mamma Mia or a To All the Boys I've Loved Before, where this is just going to appeal to your sunny side uh, part. Those are not those are not comparable films, I don't think. <laughs> those three things you just said. Well, I've, I've, only, I've only seen two of them, but To All the Boys and, and Mamma Mia, they're just both bright, happy. They're, make, they, they're uh, optimistic. That, that we'd have to get into a whole discussion of whether or not I like those things for the same reasons, and I don't know if we have the time. But in any case, Mary Poppins, she's back. <laughs> in <Man>. Pog <laughs> She's back. <laughs> what? I don't know. Man, it's a... Uh, it's it, called the movie that. <laughs> it's really something that finally we land on a movie that Corey uh, is familiar with, and, and this is what we got. I guess this te- this tells us the kind of movies that Corey watches on his off time. <laughs> I I can give the reason why I saw it, but frankly, it's not particularly interesting. Dang. 
So, Mitch, how do you feel about uh, chimney sweeping? Um, well, I did it one summer as a summer job. You did? But, uh... Oh. Uh, no, of course uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, just making me look like a fucking idiot. See, that's that's what I mean. The the innocent, naive gullibility of Corey. That's what, that's what makes you love Mamma Mia to all the boys I've loved. <laughs> I love Mamma Mia because gotcha. I'm so gullible. I think it's real. <laughs> Got. Gotcha, lad. Now you have to sweep me chimney. <laughs> a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine. Oh my go gosh! Down. Is it St. Patrick's Day, twenty twenty two yet? I want some Leprechaun Four in God. space with Mitch. That's what I want to do right now. I'll be there, and I, I might be here for Mary Poppins. We'll have to, to find say. out. Um, but in the meantime. We'll go, uh, uh, I'm, I'm out of Mary Poppins jokes I don't have anymore, actually. So we're just going to go, because the podcast is over. And I don't have to have a joke for that every time. How's everybody, how's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> is everybody good still? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, good time. Liam. Yeah. Where can people find you on the internet if they wanted to do that? You guys could log on to the World Wide Web and find me at Twitter and Letterboxd. That's where my film writing alter ego is. His name is Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, and the username on those sites is Graham the Mallow. Mitch, do you you don't want to plug anything, right? You're you're good. Oh, I think he's leaving again. Well, it's been a thrill as always uh, to have Mitch on the show. He may or may not be back next week, or maybe a different week. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he uh, graced us with his presence for about as long as he could stand, and we appreciate that. Um, speaking of bearing with us, thank you all once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and I don't have anything this time. I really don't. I thought really hard. I don't have a joke for this wow. one. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, what are we This is your captain speaking. 100 episodes into this thing? Did we hit episode 100? No. Was that a big we, you'll thing? You'll know. You'll know. No. Okay. I believe this is 90. I was worried I had forgotten. Wow. No, I think it's 90. Wow. Tell us what you think we should do for episode 100. Yeah, we're getting close, apparently. We're getting close. Uh, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. You know where you can find Liam. Mitch has gone into his sensory deprivation basement. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to MK PodQuest, which I do with our friend Neil. We just finished watching uh, Mortal Kombat Conquest, the late 90s fantasy action TV show. And um, we are moving on to more of Mortal Kombat material, uh, including uh, the v- the Journey Begins VHS tape, uh, the first two Mortal Kombat movies, the Defenders of the Realm cartoon, potentially some comics and books, the new movie. It's all in there. So you can check us out over there. And in the meantime, you can check us out here next time for more. They made another one.